are truly thankful to God for how he's been helping us uh, in, in diverse ways to be able to continue to meet together uh, in, 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 the, in the light of all that's been happening in our world. We are trusting God that in the next few weeks, things would be changing. So we are really looking forward to the opportunity of having uh, uh, the bigger opportunity of meeting physically. We thank God we've been able to meet like this online, but we are also looking forward to the opportunity of physical fellowship. But we want to thank God all the same, and we are truly grateful for everyone. And I want to say thank you to all of you that join us uh, online and join us from various places as well. Uh, as you join the church with everybody being where they are remotely, we are truly grateful that you are part of our services, and we want to thank God for your lives. May God Almighty, in whom you put your trust, continue to attend to all your matters in the name of Jesus. By the grace of God, last week we were able to start a brand new series on the uniqueness of Christ. The uniqueness of Christ. What makes Christ Christ is the fact that he is God. He is not just the one who is sent as a prophet, sent as a son of God, sent as one born of the virgin birth and all those things which he is, but the reality is that Jesus is God. This is his uniqueness. And we have been looking uh, just from last week and this week, we'll be looking at the supremacy of Christ, which is very essential for us to understand. It forms the basis of what we profess and what we believe. Understanding the supremacy of Christ is what defines our Christianity. Recognizing the fact, as you can see in our banner, recognizing the fact that he is truly the one who is above all. And we need to understand this because as Christians and people who profess Christ, we must understand that his supremacy underpins everything that we believe. And so we'll be rounding up that part today. Now, it is impossible to talk about the supremacy of Christ in two sessions. Believe me, we can go on till the end of the year and we'll still be, we'll be trying to unravel it because he is the one that was and is and is to come. He is infinite. So trying to explore his supremacy over this tiny, puny uh, world of ours is, is, is just incomprehensible because his supremacy goes beyond everything that we can see, beyond everything that is both visible and invisible. The Bible says God gave him a name above every other name, whether the names are in heaven, on earth, or under the earth. So we are truly grateful. And in the course of the weeks to come, we'll be looking at him as our perfect high priest. We'll be looking at the better covenant, the new and better covenant he brought to us. We'll be looking at how he has given us the opportunity to celebrate the heritage of faith and how we can continue to live faithfully in him, by him, and for him. And finally, at the end of the book of Hebrews, through which we are studying all this, we will be able to see him and relate with him and fellowship with him as him being our great shepherd. So I want to conclude the mini sessions on the supremacy of Christ today. That is supremacy of Christ part two. Last week we looked at the supremacy of Christ part one and we said we we're just looking at the basics of his supremacy. Today we will look at part two and we'll be focusing much more about his supremacy for rest. The supremacy of his rest. The supremacy of his rest. And uh, we will be looking, we're taking our context from Hebrews chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 4. Last week we established the word supremacy as mean to, to the word supreme as being ultimate. This is where we define and understand that Jesus, who is ultimate, 
is God. And we also understand that as a people, Jesus is the ultimate, not just in name, but is in ultimate in power, in glory, in authority, in importance. He's ultimate in all those things. I want to encourage you to please go to our LiveGate Outreach TV page in YouTube and all our podcast platforms, uh, Apple, uh, CastPods, Podcasts, everything. There are about six different RSS feeds that we have that now have audio messages up to last week's message you will find there. Please go and download these and listen to them and feel free to share. But I want to say that in looking at his supremacy, the supremacy of his rest, the believers must understand something. The journey of Christendom is a journey that must ultimately culminate in rest. There is a rest that we must enjoy today, being the children of God who enjoy his peace, who enjoy his joy, who enjoy his righteousness, because the kingdom of God is in righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. But there is an ultimate rest for us, which at the end of this time, at the end of the dispensation that we're in, we are moving into that rest. But we must understand that even while we wait for that ultimate rest, like our ultimate salvation, we have a salvation that is speaking today and is still helping us to cause us to uh, live in rest. And so what we want to understand today by the grace of God is how the supremacy of Christ helps us to enjoy this rest. And taking our theme from Hebrews chapter 3, earlier on in the, in the, uh, in the meeting, uh, Pastor Moses read for us Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1 to verse 19, uh, which is part of the many things we'll be looking at today. And uh, we're looking generally on this theme in Hebrews chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 4, part of chapter 4, just the first 13 verses, and then we'll be continuing from verse 14 from next week under a different theme. So... When we contextualize Hebrews chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1 to 13, we take a cursory look at Christ's supremacy over Moses. Moses was a very revered prophet and was a very revered uh, personality in Jewish tradition. We understand Moses as somebody who God uh, raised in, in the time of uh, the, the, the emancipation of the children of Israel from the land of Egypt. The land of Egypt is like the land of sin. It's like the land of punishment, the land of oppression, the land of difficulty, the land of depression, the land of captivity, which many people still live today. And I'm going to talk a lot about that a little bit later on. Anyone who is born into this world is virtually born into Egypt. Everyone who is born naturally into this world is born into Egypt. And they are under the bondage of the Pharaoh of today, who is the God of this world himself. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, we are told that he is the God of this world. And he is continuing to put people in that bondage. And so we are going to start today by looking at the importance of Moses and how Moses was regarded as a person that needed to be uh, revered. But the Bible, in the, I've talked yes, last week about how Hebrews was written to the Jews that were Christians, but came to a point where they were getting confused how to dissociate themselves from everything that happened in the law, everything that happened in the time of Moses, how the angels were very important and how angels delivered, helped him to take control of the law and how the law has shaped their lives up to that point. So these people were getting confused. 
And so this book was written by those who God gave insight and gave revelation to understand that they needed to speak to their brethren to be encouraged. That yes, Moses may be regarded and revered, but Christ has come to do much more than just receiving the law and administering the law. Moses was tasked with the emancipation of the children of Israel from the land of slavery and the land of bondage to the land of rest, the promised land. And this is exactly what Christ has come to do, to redeem mankind. The Bible says, therefore, God has delivered us from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his marvelous light, into the kingdom of his dear son, the kingdom of his marvelous light. We read that in Colossians 1, verse 13. But you see, Moses was a person who, when he received the law, he was to guide these people to promised land. And a time came, Moses asked for the presence of the Lord. And this is how I want to tie them together today, so that we can see the supremacy of Christ over Moses. Exodus chapter 33 from verse 22 is what I want to start reading today. Exodus 33, the Bible says, Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, See, you say to me that bring up these people. Exodus 33, verse 12, please. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. So Moses was talking about, God was talking about the I am that I am that had sent him. Remember when God called him in Exodus chapter 3, he said, who will you say? Who will I say to them has sent me? He said, you go say to them, I am that I am has sent me. And so he was now saying that, look, you said to me, go and do this, but you have not shown you who you will, say, who you will send with me. Moses was still living in a shallow knowledge of God. He believed God, he moved, he did not consider himself again as a son of Pharaoh that uh, could have stayed in the house and enjoyed everything, the pleasures of Egypt, like the Bible says. He moved by faith, but yet he was just going gradually and unraveling this God. He said, I know you by name, and I have also found grace in your sight. And verse 13, he said, now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, Show me now your way, that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight. And consider that this nation is your people. Consider the fact that the people you have asked me to rescue are yours. I cannot in my limited capacity guide them anywhere. You know where the land is. You know how we will get there. But I need you to show me your way. And in verse 14, and God answered him and said, and he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Now, Moses did not understand that God's presence had been with him right from the time God appeared to him by the burning bush. God appeared to Moses and he took his attention. In Exodus chapter 3, he took his attention. He said, I have heard the cries of my children in Egypt and I'm sending you to go and rescue them. And Moses did not understand when God 
took that rod in his hand and he cast it down and it became a snake and he took it up again. He did not understand that the one who was and is and is to come has already been with him. When God was telling him here in Exodus 33, 14, that my presence will go with you and I will give you rest, it was just a confirmation. The rod in his hand and the presence of the Almighty God with that rod has already been his hallmark of the authentication of God for the assignment that was ahead of him. We know that when he got back into Egypt and he cast down that rod before Pharaoh, it turned into a snake. All the magicians came and did the same. For God to show that he had sent to him the king of kings, the lord of lords, the rod of all rods, the one that cannot be withstood, his own serpent consumed all the magician serpents in one go. And this began the mission, this began to underpin the mission of the emancipation of God's people. Jesus was already there with him. Jesus, the rod, was already there with him. We need to understand something about Jesus. Many of us quote from John chapter 1 verse 14 and we say, And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. That is very true. That is the truth. He became flesh for one purpose, to die as flesh, as human. He became man to die as a man, as to sacrifice as man. But before he became flesh, he had become so many things, even in the Old Testament. Jesus, who was and is and is to come, had become many things and is still becoming many things to us today. We need to understand this. The rod in the hand of Moses was no longer an ordinary rod. It had become what we call the rod of Moses, the rod of God. It is the same rod that the psalmist talked about when he said that, hey, yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Isaiah prophesied about that rod. He said there shall come a time that there shall be a stem out of the root of Jesse and it shall be called the rod. The rod shall be a stem out of the root of Jesse and then the spirit of the Lord shall be upon him. The spirit of wisdom, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of the fear of the Lord will be upon him. It's the same rod. It's the same rod. It's the same rod that pointed to the rock, which was Christ also, and water came out. It's the same rod. When Moses used it to strike the, the, rock, the, 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 the rock and water came out, it's the same rod. It's the same rod. And he appeared to them, even in different forms. Go to Exodus chapter 12, verse, verse, chapter 13, verse 21. The Bible says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way. <laughs> a pillar of cloud to lead the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light and so as to go by day and night so that they could move uninhabited at any time. Again, he manifested to them as the cloud. He manifested to them as the fire. It is the same cloud that we call the glory cloud when Solomon was dedicating the temple in 2 Chronicles chapter 5 from verse 13 to 15. You need to note these scriptures down and read them on your own and read them in context. Then you will see that Christ is truly supreme. He has ever been with the children of God. He has ever been with those whom he has commissioned. He has ever been with those whom he has called, those whom he has justified. 
So when, 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 they, when they were moving and when they dedicated the temple, the Bible says the glory of the, as the, as the trumpeters and the priests were ministering to the Lord in one accord, the glory of the Lord came and in the cloud it filled the temple so much so that the ministers could no longer stand to minister. It is the glory cloud. It is Jesus Christ himself in the glory cloud. The same way he led them in the way. So that they, he gave them the pillar of cloud that led them the day, pointing the direction. Again, the psalmist saw it in Psalm 119 and verse 105. He said, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. He directed their steps by day and he gave them fire by night. Fire to give them light. Fire does two things. It burns and it lightens. It burns and it brightens. It burns and it illuminates. And in this place, we see the fire of God, Jesus Christ himself, doing the work of light. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. So the light of the world, he who heard in the New Testament, is the same light that was there for them to lead them in the way in the wilderness by night. I need to say these things and remind you so that you can understand that this Christianity is not a religion that happened 2,000 years ago. It's not some religion that was made up by men just 2,000 years ago. The supremacy of Christ is eternal, from glory to glory, from everlasting to everlasting. He's always been there. That's why he told them before your father Abraham was, I am. Not that I was, I am. I am. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning, was, that's the beginning of time, not the beginning of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. So he has been. Christ is not 2,000 years old. Christ has no age. He has no age. That's why we don't sing that song, Ancient of Days, As Old As You Are. It's not a good song. It's not a correct song. There's nothing like as old as he is because he has no age. He is ancient of days, period. Ancient of days, period. The one that was, the one that is, the one that is to come. So in the wilderness, the fire gave them light. But in the, in, in the days, the, the children of Israel were stuck in Babylon. And they were in captivity in Babylon. The same fire came and was a consuming fire. Just like the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews 12, 29, that our God is a consuming fire. How did he come? Again, open your Bibles and note the scriptures in Daniel chapter 3. The Bible says when the God was set up and those uh, three Hebrew boys refused to bow down, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the Bible says, and they were cast into the fiery furnace, heavy furnace of fire that was impossible for those who were, were the, the people who even put them in could not survive its heat. And the Bible says that these people were cast in. But when the king looked into the fire, he saw four people. And he said to them, did we not cast in three people? They said, yes. He said, but now I see four. And the fourth one has the image of the son of God. Hallelujah. That is Jesus Christ manifested as a consuming fire. He consumed the fire of man in himself and therefore made it impossible for that fire of man to consume his children. 
Friends, we need understanding to, to know that the supremacy of Christ is not about the, we're not talking about the supremacy of a historical figure. We're not talking about the supremacy of a, of, of, of a, of a made-up image of, of somebody or just another human being that is very intellectual or another human being that was very clever or another human being that was very influential. He is not on any Forbes 500 list. He doesn't have to be. Those are lists made for men. He is God all by himself. He was the fourth man who consumed the fire. And that is why Isaiah said, even though you pass through the fire, they will not consume you. Because Jesus Christ, who has promised, look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and verse 20. Jesus Christ, who has promised that you should go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He said, wherever you go, in verse 19, verse 19, verse 20 now, he said to them that, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. He said to them, I will be with you. So when Isaiah prophesied, he said, when you pass through the fire, you will not be burned, not because you have anything in yourself, but the one who has always been with those whom he has commissioned will always be with you. This is why we must understand that even in this pandemic, as grievous as this is, as disastrous as this has been on our world, those who name the name of the Lord must continue to call on the consuming fire, to consume every walk of darkness around them on a consistent basis, whether it is a virus that is flying by day, whether it is one that is flying by night, the consuming fire, our God is still at work. We need to understand that we are in perilous times indeed, but we have nothing to be afraid of because the one who has said he will be with us even to the end of age is with us right now. He was with those who were before us. He is with us right now. And him tarrying to come back to rapture us home, he will be with those who will be, with, uh, who will be after us even after now. We must understand Christ is the cloud. Christ is the flyer. Christ is the fire. He is the fire that burns. He is the fire that illuminates. This is the promise we have. As we serve him, we are also benefactors. The same way he went with Moses and continued to confirm his presence and continued to confirm his presence through the journeys. When they got to the Red Sea, it was the same rod that appeared and caused them to pass through when it was stretched forth and the rod parted hither and thither, like the Bible said in Exodus chapter 14. We must all understand that he has never left us. He does not intend to leave you and I. Any situation of life today that is confusing you and making you mesmerized, making you confused, and making you see yourself as going through something that nobody else has ever been, you must remind that thing that he is with you. You must remember that, you might, you must remind that situation that he is with you. His promise is that he will be with you. And we must continue to stand on the integrity of his word. His name is Jesus, the word that was, the word that is, and the word that is to come. So every one of us must understand this and be rested. He was the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah, but he was the lion that went in, the invisible lion that went in and sat with Daniel that made it impossible for human and earthly lions to do him anything. Many of you do not understand. Some of us 
have passed through things that we know that if not for the presence of Jesus Christ, we would have been dead long time, long time. I have survived so many car accidents, so many things in life that would have killed me very easily. Things that would have snapped my life in, in seconds. But he comes at the nick of time and he removes me from it. And it makes me see that truly he is with me. No weapon truly formed against you shall prosper. And any tongue that is rising against you in judgment, you condemn them not by your power, but by the fire of the Holy Ghost and by the one who is a consuming fire. You must understand, we don't do those things because we want to be wicked to people. We do those things because we are on a mission. We do those things because we are on an assignment. The same way Pharaoh could not kill Moses because he was on an assignment to emancipate God's people out of Egypt. That is why your life is preserved. My life and your life are preserved. Our jobs and you are preserved. Our marriages are preserved. Our children are preserved. The things we have to help us in this life are preserved, not because we are better than anybody or because God just likes our face, but because we are sent like Moses was sent. We are sent. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, the Bible says, Now if any man be in Christ, is a new creation. All things have passed away, and all things have become new. As you read to verse 22, he says, And then he has given to them the ministry of reconciliation. Everyone called into that ministry enjoys the presence of God, enjoys the presence of Jesus to the end of days. This is why when we read in Hebrews chapter 3, we're going to pick a few things from there as to what we need to keep reminding ourselves in order to enjoy the ultimate rest that God has in store for us through Jesus Christ. He said we should embrace the supremacy of Christ so that we can enter this rest. Hebrews chapter 3, I'll pick a few verses, verse 1. It says, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Partakers of the heavenly calling. I just talked about it. It is called also the ministry of reconciliation. Partakers of the heavenly calling. He said, consider the apostle and the high priest of, uh, the apostle and the high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. The first things we need to realize is that Christ is our high priest. Christ is our apostle and Christ is our high priest. The apostle means the one sent. The one sent to help others the one sent, the one that is sent to plant, the one that is sent to lead, the one that is sent to take an assignment and execute it by leading others to do it. He said Christ is our apostle and is our high priest. Our high priest is our intercessor. We will look at that from next week. He's our high priest. He said who was faithful? That is the next thing we need to realize who was faithful to him who appointed him as Moses also was faithful. Don't forget, he was using the illustration of Moses because they knew Moses. They've read about Moses. They understood and they revered Moses. Moses was very faithful to his call. Moses never looked back after he went to Egypt. He never looked back. He stood in front of Pharaoh 10 times and he said, let my people go. He said, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me without fear of his life. Knowing fully well that he could have been killed at any time. He could have been imprisoned at any time. But he recognized that he had to be faithful to his call. He said that this Christ, our apostle and high priest, was faithful to him who appointed him. I've always said to you the word faithful means five things. It means he was trustworthy. He is trustworthy. 
It means he is reliable. It means he is loyal. It means he is consistent. And it means he is steadfast. When you put all this together, you understand what faithfulness really is. Truly, Christ is trustworthy. That is why the Bible says, they that put their trust in the Lord, their God, shall not be put to shame. If you have any calling whatsoever in this life, and I know you do, whatever you do, never let the trust in the Lord ever slip by. He said, consider those of us who have a heavenly calling. He said, he is faithful. Keep trusting your apostle. You are a servant. He is your apostle. Keep trusting him. Whether that calling is to a business, whether that calling is to a project, whether that calling is to a ministry, whether that calling is to a church, consider him who is faithful. He is trustworthy. He will never leave you nor forsake you. When you get frustrated and you are getting heavy laden and you are getting worried, go back to your faithful apostle. Go back to your faithful high priest because he is faithful. He is faithful. The Bible says, consider him the same way Moses was faithful. You also need to consider him as faithful. Verse 3, he said, for this one, verse 3, he said, for this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. Verse 4, he is counted, for every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. Verse 6, verse 5. Verse 5, and Moses indeed was faithful, indisputedly, undoubtedly. He was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be speaking afterward, like we're speaking of him now. He said, but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, not that we have been, not that we will be. We are his house. That's why Paul told the Corinthians, he said, you are God's building. Whose house we are. But what is the condition for us to remain in the house? If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. We have a duty to hold fast Firm to the end. Some of us have been going for 10 years. We need to hold fast. Firm to the end. Some of us have been going for 20 years. We need to keep holding fast. Firm to the end. Some of us have been going for 50 years on this journey. We need to keep holding fast. Firm to the end. Some of you may be hearing my voice and you've been going for 75 years. You Please, please, whatever you do, keep holding fast. Firm to the end. Because you remain the house if you hold fast. Firm to the end. First Corinthians 15, 58, he said, therefore remain unshakable, immovable. You must remain unshakable. You must remain immovable. You must remain steadfast. Many believers, too many believers are falling by the wayside today. Too many believers are getting tired. Too many believers are giving up the race. Wherever you are, whoever you know that is giving up the race, please encourage them today. Call them, say, brother, come on, get back on the race. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for you. You will not run the race in your own power. He's our faithful high priest. He will intercede for you. Don't let people give up because they become hopeless. Pastors give up on their assignment because they become hopeless. People give up on their Christianity because they have become hopeless. They no longer see the apostle of our high calling. They no longer see our faithful high priest. He said we are his house if. We are his house if. We hold fast. 
We need to understand that the if there is very important. That is what God cannot do for you and I. It is what you and I must decide to continue to do, to hold fast, to remain steadfast in the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope. We need to understand these things so that we don't let the devil cheat us. First Peter 2, 5, verse 4 and 5, he said, For we, coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God. 1 Peter 2, verse 5. He said, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Don't forget, when Paul wrote to the Romans, he said, you present your bodies as living sacrifices. That is the house we are built up. A spiritual house. We are being built up. But the builder of this house is God himself. Psalm 127 verse 1, you don't need to turn to it. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. Why do Christians ever think that they can run this race in their imagination? Why do Christians ever think that they can run this ministry and do the things of their calling, their high calling, by their own strength, by their own power? It's not by power, nor by might, my dear friends. It takes the spirit of God. And it is the word of God that we find on our inside that becomes the rejoicing of our soul. That's what Jeremiah said to us. He said, your words were found and I ate them. Jeremiah 15, 16, I ate them and they became a rejoicing of my soul. We need to understand the spirit of the word must keep us going. When we understand the word, the word that was, the word that is, the word that is to come, whether it was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whether it was David, the stone that he used in the slingshot to kill Goliath, that one stone that was the rock of offense that pulled down the head of Goliath, whether it was him, whether it was Daniel in the lion's den, whether it was Paul that survived people and, and shipwreck and people who tried to stone him and he didn't die before his time, whether it was Jesus himself that escaped their midst when they were trying to trap him and catch him and to, to kill him before his time. Whether it is that, it is the same Christ that is living for us today. So we must hold fast the confidence. The Bible says, cast not away your confidence, which has a great recompense of reward. Many of us have confidence up to certain points, but when we see certain kind of issues, we lose our confidence. I want you to understand, whatever God has done before is enough for you to believe that he can do anything in your future. If you have ever passed an exam before, it simply means that you can pass the next one. Don't come to a place where you doubt God. If you have ever seen anybody give birth to a child before, it means you can have your own child. I don't care about the medical history. I don't care about what they've said to you. I don't care what it looks like in the physical. The fact that somebody on this earth has given, and especially if you have ever heard a testimony of a person whose case had been written off, and yet, they still came forth. It means you can have yours. If God has ever given somebody a husband or a wife, it means you can have yours. If God has ever given anybody anything, it means you can have yours. Just hold fast to your confidence. Hold fast to your profession of your faith because you must not cast away your confidence in him. This is what we must understand. If we want to enjoy true rest, the supremacy of Christ is about how much we are willing to demonstrate our confidence in him. Verse 7, let's go back to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. It says, therefore, holy brethren, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, 
if you will hear his voice. Verse 8. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness. Why? Go to verse 16, please. Go to verse 16. Why should you not harden your heart? He said, for who? Those ones in the rebellion, having heard, they rebelled. He said, indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt left by Moses? They all got saved. They all got delivered. Verse 17, they all got saved. They all got delivered. He said, now with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? What was their sin? Verse 18. He said, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? Those who did not obey. Not those who did not leave Egypt. They all left Egypt. They were all saved. But in the journey, some of them started to disobey. Some of them started to doubt. Some of them started to rebel. And the Bible says God's anger was kindled against them. Paul came later on and he warned the Corinthians about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He said, let us not be those who murmur. Let us not be those who complain. We have many forms of murmuring and complaining in our day and age. Some of the things we say are very subtle acts of complaint. Some of the things we say are very subtle demonstrations of unbelief. If we believe the Lord, if we believe the Lord our God, our confession must be steadfast. Our confession must be focused. Our confession must be rooted in the obedience of who he is. We must never allow the things that the enemy is using in our day and age to distract people, to distract us. He said, do not harden your heart. Do not harden your heart. Hardness of heart comes when we refuse to break up our fallow ground. That's what Hosea said in Hosea 10, 12. He said, it's now time to sow to yourselves in righteousness and break your fallow grounds for it is time to seek the Lord. Some areas of our lives have become fallow grounds because we have written out, we have overruled that those aspects cannot be touched by God again. They can be habits. They can be bad habits. They can be aspects of our lives that are not representing God correctly. They can be aspects of unbelief. They can be situations of our physical health. They can be situations with our children. They can be situations with our marriages. They can be situations with anything, our careers and jobs. Many of these things, we have relegated them to a place of abandonment and said we have a hardened heart. He said, do not harden your heart today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Do not harden your heart. Verse 19, he says, so we see, verse 19, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Friends, unbelief is a robber of destiny. Anyone that truly wants to enjoy this God must keep dying to self. And keep asking for help. Like that man said, I believe. Help my unbelief. Keep asking for help against unbelief. Unbelief is a temptation that comes to everyone. Nobody outgrows unbelief. It comes in different ways. Because when you see what you have never seen before, unbelief is waiting by the side of that thing. When you experience what you have never experienced before, unbelief is waiting by the side of that thing. So no matter who you are, 
No matter who you are, no matter your journey, you have to rely on God, holding, your, holding fast your confidence and the profession of your faith, knowing fully well that you have an apostle and a high priest who is faithful. He's supreme. He is faithful. He is trustworthy. He will never leave you nor forsake you, no matter how dark it seems around you. Listen, friends, when Jesus came, he spoke about himself. He said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the living water. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the true vine. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is. He is. Because he is the I am that I am. I am that I am means I am who I need to be to you at any point. I am who I need to be to you at any point. The I am I need, the expression of I am I need may not be the expression of I am that you need at this very moment in time, but he's I am to us all. The I am that your brother or your spouse needs may not be the, the expression of the I am that you need, but he's still I am to all of us. <laughs> this is why we need to understand why he said he is, I am that I am. And Jesus came also and said, I am. We must not live in unbelief. Unbelief has stopped many people in our days. Unbelief has taken many people out of the race because they came to a point where they stopped believing. He said we will arrive at the journey of destiny if only we believe. My famous story about the crossing of the sea. Remember when they were crossing the, 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 the sea and their boat was about to capsize, Jesus and his disciples. He said, who has caused you to doubt? What has caused you to doubt? Because when people are shouting and screaming and living like unbelievers, they are in doubt and they are walking in unbelief. Our world is facing a very, very dire situation. Thank God, by the grace of God, there seems to be some elements of control, but there's still a lot of guesswork going on. We don't know what this is. But those of us that have a spiritual insight will simply understand that this is nothing but the work of the enemy. As simple as that sounds, that's just what it is. The enemy can code himself in anything. He can code himself in a raging storm. He can code himself in a raging fire. He can code himself in a simple virus. He can code himself in anything. He's the God of this world. So we are fighting that enemy, but we who name the name of the Lord must remain resolute, understanding that whatever we see, however we go, God remains God. And Jesus Christ, the supreme one, whom God has embodied in himself, whom God has embodied himself inside bodily, must remain the king and the Lord of our lives. So our faith in the word of God must be unshakable always. And when the writer of the Hebrew uh, book got to Hebrews chapter 4, he said this to them in verse 1. He says, therefore, Hebrews 4.1, he says, therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. There is a promise of rest that remains. Do not fear so that we don't fall like those who disobeyed, those who gave up and did not enter the promised land in the days of Moses. He said, let us not fear. He said, for indeed, 
the gospel, verse 2, was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. The word of God gives us faith. We need faith to believe more. The word gives us more faith. We take more faith to believe more. The word of God gives faith. That is how it works. Word brings faith. Faith brings more word. Word gives faith. Faith brings more word. And we keep going like that. We keep mixing it with faith. And we keep growing and growing and growing in our journey. This is why believers must understand that when we are praying, we must know how we pray. We don't pray against tribulation. It's a waste of time. Jesus said we will have it. We don't pray against adversity. It's a waste of time. He said if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small because there is a day called a day of adversity. Jesus says sufficient for the day is the evil thereof. So there's no need praying certain prayer. What you need to pray is the presence of God. What you need to pray is your steadfastness. What you need to pray is the grace to keep enduring and to keep remaining steadfast and overcoming. Because he said you should be of good cheer. He has overcome. Jesus, our faithful high priest and our apostle, has given us a promise of rest. Verse 5 says, verse 3 says, For we who believed, we who have believed, do enter that rest. As he said, so I saw in my right, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. It's sad not to benefit of the things that have already been given to us. It's very sad. It's like a man who makes a big dinner for the family and everybody's there, all the children are there, and then one of them just stays outside. Just stays outside and is knocking on the door, just going about, playing around the house. And, and they're calling him, come and eat. And he's hungry outside. And he's going outside, looking for things in the garbage bins and, and looking for something to eat. And he's all dirtied up. And, and they're saying, son, come inside. All things are ready. That's how it is when it's already been finished. And we as believers are refusing to enter the door by faith to just go in and possess that which is ours. To just go in and do that which God has called us to do. The believer generation of our world remains the hope of the world. We are not arrogant about this. We are simply doing what our master said. When Moses went back to, 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 to Pharaoh to say, thus says the Lord, let my people go, that they may serve me. He was not being arrogant. He was just simply declaring the counsel of God. So it's not about pride or arrogance or we seeing ourselves better than other human beings. We are simply saying that this is what the word says. We have a faithful high priest who is interceding for us and for mankind. He died so that everyone can come into his ark. He died and rose again so that everyone can be saved by him. We who have been saved by him have been enlisted by him to keep going, believing and going in confidence so that those who need to see the light can see the light through our lives. Friends, if we complain like everybody and cry like everybody else and sound confused like everybody else, our world will have no hope. And we are not trying to play up we are not trying to act up. What we need to do is to believe the word of God and remain consistent in him. I just want to remind you what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. These verses of scriptures have helped me for many years, especially in the work of the ministry. And I want you to understand that we are all involved in the work of the ministry, whatever we do, as you know, we have taught this many times. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he said, come unto me, come unto me, 
all you who labor and are heavy laden. Matthew eleven twenty eight. And I will give you rest. Come unto me. He's calling you and I. Come. Why are you laboring and becoming heavy laden? Why do you think you can run this race on your own? Why do you think you can make something of your life without him? Come unto me. Come unto me. Can I have Matthew eleven twenty eight, please? Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We need to take this invitation. We need to take this invitation to his supremacy. He is the custodian of rest. Believers many times are running helter-skelter trying to make ends meet like everybody else and there is nothing wrong in hard work. There is nothing wrong in trying to feed your family. There is nothing wrong in trying to run your business. There is nothing wrong in trying to do your job well. All that is good but go to him first. Go to Christ first. There is a way when you go to Christ, your own running is different. Your own running is by his mighty hand. Your own running is in his restful arms. When he promised us that this would be our covenant season of restful increase and the pandemic broke out, a few weeks after that word was declared in our assembly, I went to him and said, Lord, it is meant to be our restful increase. There's so much pandemonium in our world. He said, that's exactly what I meant. I meant I will give my children rest in the midst of what was coming ahead of them. I will give them rest. I will make them sleep and wake up as if nothing is happening around them. But we need to know how to come to him because we are laboring. He knows you are laboring. He knows I am laboring. But he said, come to me. He said, and you will get my rest. I will give you rest. Verse 29, he said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me means follow my ways, follow my pattern, the way I was rested when I was physically with you as a man, as a son of man. The way I was physically rested, I want you to learn from me as I trusted my father that he was always my divine supply. I want you to learn from me as I trusted my father that he too could never leave me nor forsake me. I want you to learn from me as I could walk on water and do the things that were seemingly impossible. I want you to learn from me. He said, for I'm gentle and lonely in heart and you will find rest for your soul. Second time. He said, I will give you rest and you will find rest. I will give you rest and you will find rest. When you come to him and you give him your labor, you give him your heaviness, he gives you rest. But when you learn from him, you find rest because the Bible says that there is an opportunity to come before him, as we will see next week, to find grace to keep helping us. So there is a grace, there is a rest you must locate, there is a rest that is given to you. But the rest that you must locate comes from learning. It comes from learning. It comes from a diligent, studious life of learning. Then you find that kind of rest. You say, but Lord, I've been serving you. Yes, you are serving, but are you learning? Are you learning from him? When you learn from him, you find certain kind of rest that is uncommon. You don't find things that are on the surface. You don't. You don't find things that are, that are, that are just everywhere. Everybody sees those. That is grace given to all. But the grace you need to find comes by learning from him. Learning from his humility. Learning from his gentleness. I say, and you will find rest for your souls. 
when you learn about how he forgave, how he said, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing, and you learn of him, and you take that as a lifestyle, you find a lot of rest for your souls. They beg you, forgive. You say, no, I will never forgive. You are putting labor upon yourself unnecessarily. He said, you will find rest for your souls. You must make up your mind. These things are so simple. But I have watched not 10 years, not 20 years, not 30 years, not 40 years, I can tell you that I have seen believers trapped by the littlest of things. And many times they go on for years wasting their life, striving with people, pulling issues, toggling here, pastors fighting members, members wanting to kill the pastor in the name of serving God. This is evil. Those are unnecessary things. <laughs> Hallelujah. And I want you all to know that these things are not, I'm not saying them flippantly. I'm only saying them because we all need to reflect and ask ourselves, why am I not living in the rest of God? Am I holding on to things that are unnecessary? Verse 30, he said, for my yoke is easy. My burden is light. His yoke is easy. And his burden is light. Anyone that tells you that serving God is hard, tell them it is not. Tell them it is not. Tell them it is work. Jesus said, my father walketh it unto, and I walk. We walk, but his yoke is easy. His burden is light. We carry burdens, but they are light. Let us understand this and let us rest in them. By the grace of God today, friends, this is what I want to share with you very briefly. This is a very exhaustive, very, very uh, uh, big topic that we cannot exhaust in one session. And by the grace of God, as we go through the week, we'll be looking at some other aspects that can help us unravel more of Christ's supremacy over our rests and our restful increase. We need to understand these things so that it can help us to enjoy the peace of God and manifest to our world as he chooses. I want your testimony to be that people around you are asking that don't you see what we are seeing? Don't you care if we perish like they asked Jesus? Don't you see that there is so much pandemonium? Why are you, why are you at rest? It is not a bad thing. It means that they've seen exactly what they should see about you because that gives you the opportunity to say, peace be still. That gives you the opportunity to tell them about the joy of the Lord that you share and that you enjoy, that you can share freely with them. It gives you the opportunity to engage with this ministry of reconciliation very easily. It does not have to be by laying on of hands, by anybody specially praying for you. It just simply means you going to learn from him. Many believers have been going from conference to conference to conference, Benny Hinn to uh, uh, late Reinhard Bonke to, to Kenneth Copeland. They fly all over the world, all the way to Australia, to India, everywhere. They, and it's not bad, but they are not learning. They are not learning, so life is not moving. They just have money to travel around and attend every conference and wear a badge. <laughs> but they are not learning. Stay with Jesus and learn from him. Learn from him because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. This is the secret of rest through the supremacy of Christ. God bless you. Please let's bow down our heads and pray. Well,